I'll do I'll do a little bit and then you do the welcome, yeah? Does that mean I speak first? Why are you recording now when we could be not recording this? Because Sam just told me to record. She said, Charlie, I think it'd be great if you could just start recording now. And I was like, okay. No, she she said, said, Charlie, (laughs) I think you should record because I can't be here for this bit. Drunk Lesbians review random episodes of Call the Midwife. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Kim. You're all right? You? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, you know, fair to Midland. Fair to Midland. What are you drinking tonight, Kim? Um, I'm drinking uh, Spanish beer and then stupidly um, a white Rioja, which is vile. I've never even heard of a Rioja. Is that a region in well, Espanol? I don't know if it's a region. Normally I drink red Rioja, but considering it was like as hot as Hades' arse today, I thought I would, it was so hot, I thought I would drink um, a nice cooling white wine. And the only Spanish one they had that wasn't fizzy and would make me hiccup was Rioja. Fair enough. Mm. Fair enough. What are you drinking? Vodka and Diet Coke. Okay. Surprise there. Thanks. Can we have a little bit more imagination next time from you? No. 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 Why are you That's Welsh for no. No, it's not. <laughs> What's Welsh for no? It depends on what question you're asking. Can I have a bit more interest in your drink choices? Nah. Nah. Knackity. Knackity. Knackity noo noo. Yeah. Nachadi. new new. Anyway. Um I'm not well, Welsh, yeah. I'm from Hull. You admitted you were Welsh last last episode. I was it was smoke and mirrors. I didn't see any smoke or mirrors. I just saw the Welsh dragon tattooed on your arsehole. My whole house is my hang on a minute, come on, my house is like Versailles. It's basically a hall of mirrors. It is. It's quite difficult sometimes. We're blinded. I can never. We're doing a podcast and Kim would be like, I'm over here. And I'm like, which one? You can only follow me by the sound of my voice. (laughs) Which is difficult in an audio based format. (laughs) (laughs) Follow my voice. What the fuck do you think we've been doing this far? Mm, Well, yeah. You had a good week? No. You? No. Actually, no, I did. I went to the beach. It was fine. <laughs> in it hot, though. In it hot. It's too hot. It's too I'm, hot. I'm sat here in my knickers and bra just to keep myself cool. Got a nip on. Nice. Yeah. Nip on. Yeah. As in a sword. No. What's a nip on? Is that like a judo term? No, when you go, you know, smuggling bullets, could cut glass. Are you mean the nip the bank heist. A nip on when you got hard nipples ah. Ah, look at her she's got a nip on shooting bullets yeah shooting bullets smuggling raisins yeah cut glass with them love i know you could use them for a little bank heist 
Mm. <laughs> Make a little circle. Ding. It's all right. Now we bought the town jaws. Yeah. That's why social media is so afraid of the female nipple because it is used in so a lot powerful. of bank heists that okay. they don't want women to clock on that they could like be really rich by breaking into banks with their nipples. I'm sure there are plenty of women using their boobs to make themselves rich. I don't think they need to <laughs> rob banks. I know, well, OnlyFans is getting shut down, aren't they? Hmm. Hmm. I know, yeah, all the poor... No, they've backtracked on that now, haven't they? Have they? Is your yeah, account they... still live? Yeah, it's still live. It's still raking in the money. Good. And if anybody would like to find me on OnlyFans, uh, feel free. My username is Big Tits Bella at... <laughs> So anyway, uh, today we're going to be reviewing Series 5, Episode 2. What did you think about this episode? Well, there's not a lot of pup cake in it, but actually I quite like this episode. I think there's a lot to commend it, actually. I like this episode. It Um, reminded me why I was a Call the Midnight Wife fan before I was a pup cake fan. Yeah, I like the backstories to stuff. I like mm. the, and it's, this one's really interesting because it shows the change that's happening in society, which is quite nice. It talks about the emerging middle class, doesn't it? Does it? Does it? Really? Mm. Before that, all we had was poor people and very rich people. And then technology came along and people were like, we, ha- ah. we can be slightly less poor. And they were um, like, good plan. We created a squeezed middle. We could tax more and more mm-hmm. instead of proper taxation. Ah, capitalism. <laughs> so, the opening monologue is Jenny talking about the dock workers, about how society's changed and the emerging middle class. Um, it opens up to the Gladys Knight Institute. Two women are looking at a catalogue, talking about prams. It's a silver cross pram as well that they're looking at. Nice. About 200 quid now. My cousin had a silver cross pram. Did she? Yeah, I think she found it a skip. They look like death traps. <laughs> they, like they're, they're, so... <laughs> they're great for shoplifting <laughs> cousin didn't even have a baby um <laughs> so you know that we call them prams but they're actually called perambulators perambulator yeah perambulator yeah. weird name isn't it yeah but yeah what do um do americans call them prams or what do you call them just strollers oh strollers oh do you know that's better isn't it because perambulation means to walk doesn't it or to move so stroller is just like it's always the same with america isn't it we have to be like nuts about everything and they just say oh yeah there's a simpler word for that let's use it or we can oh i don't know we have we pavement and they have sidewalk yeah but it is is on the side and you walk on it what's a pavement the bit where you walk Aluminum. Let's cut out all the letters you don't need. They're much more Aluminium. sensible. Colour. Why do we need can a rogue we, U? Can do you know why we got all, you know why the Americans got rid of all the U's though? Do you know why they dropped all of that excessive vowels? Was it was it's it tax? when they put stuff sort of when they were putting stuff into newspapers, they got charged by the letter. So they were like, We don't need U's. Oh, will suffice. It will do the job. We all know what we're talking about. And then but the language changed. Whereas over here, we did it by the word. But it's only like us doing it when we dropped, when S's were taxed and we dropped S's and had a little weird F, S crossover thing. 
Is that why they did that? Yeah, because S because they thought S was the most common letter in the alpha in, used in writing, so they decided to tax S's. So then they decided, well, let's not use an S, let's use a symbol instead. God, they'll fucking tax everything, won't they? Even the letter S wasn't immune. Can you imagine being taxed for the letter S? If you had a sausage dog. Well, yeah, because it would mean that any time you wanted to have sex, you'd have to have X instead. Yeah, if you wanted to have sex and wanted to put your sausage dog Susan out on the savannah, then you wouldn't be able to do it. You'd just be charged. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Anyway. So they're looking at uh, to buy a silver cross clam, um, and uh, Mrs. An, Il- says, an ilver co. <laughs> and then <laughs> and Mrs. Beckett says her husband doesn't believe in credit, um, and this other woman, I don't know whether she's getting shares or something, but she's like, he should want to ch- to like treat you. Fuck off! You don't know anyone's business. What we just met. Go away. If I want your opinion on what I should buy, I'll ask. Mm -mm. She's one of those aspirational working class women, though. She wants more. She's a hyacinth bouquet. Yeah, bucket woman. (sighs) So annoying. Um, uh, She goes off for her exam um, where Barbara sees her and says that her blood pressure is a bit high. Um, She says, you're not doing too much. And she goes, no, 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 I'm just a bit bored. Um, I can't work. Um, and now I'm just waxing around the house um, and there's some tramps living outside, which is causing us stress. Um, <laughs> Barbara's so pure. Barbara then suggests that her, if she was thinking as her dad would, she would suggest trusting God as he always has a plan, which goes about as well in regards to advice and sort of support as a lead balloon to the tits. Like, it is so not, (laughs) no one's like, this woman's not like, oh, thank goodness, I'd forgotten about him. Um, She says, God God doesn't care. God will provide. God will provide because he has a plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mrs. Bennett says, God probably doesn't care about Poplar, which point Barbara goes, falls back on plan B, which is, when I get stressed, I try to breathe, which is a good plan that I think every single one of our listeners should do yeah everybody breathe. breathe please breathe we if like you find you yourself breathing. not breathing it's please quite a bad a sign call a doctor mm. yeah yeah <laughs> new scene sheila's running a class to teach babies how to drink formula there's a formula class isn't there yeah, I yeah, I don't think they're teaching the babies to drink formula. I think they're trying to do the hard sell on the mothers. It's American technology, though. Everything's mm. way more at this point, especially this in Britain. Point, like we're basically scrabbling around in the dirt, and the Americans yeah. are coming in like in titanium suits. Like, look yeah. at us. We got candy. We got chocolate. We got oil. We've got all these things. We're rich. Look at us. We've got you've got perambulators. We have babies that can walk from the womb. We've taught them that. We're better than you guys because we're American. Yeah. We've got it all. It's the land of milk and honey, and it's the American dream that you can have too if you buy Marlowe's milk formula. I think you could be a good seller. Do you reckon? Mm. But this woman um, is doing the hard sell. I don't know what I'm selling, but I really don't know what I'm selling. Small level racism, I think. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's, um, 
she's giving the real hard sell and she's like formula makes babies more beautiful more attractive more intelligent and it's like what the what science have you got to back this up is that well, science or uh there's no science. No? There's there's no no science. Science. but it is i don't know if sam would agree as the resident american producer but so in the 50s I know we're bordering on the early 60s here, but definitely in the 50s, we were still very much post-war, lots of austerity, lots of grey, lots of dark. America was very different at that point. I know there were other issues that they were probably facing, but I'm sure to aspirational people looking across the pond, it must have looked like an amazing place to live. Sam's just nodding, uh, but she's not coming on air. Um, so, yeah. Guys, so, tell us in the Discord. Let us know what America was like in the 50s and where you would rather have been, Poplar mm-hmm. or America. But, yeah. So, Evangelina's watching it, and she points out instantly, breast is best, baby has the best, and it's breast. Um, she then calls over to a lady called Connie who's got inverted nips, um and connie's like you know would that formula be good and she's like absolutely not no Breast is the only colostrum is the best thing in the world which to be fair it is it's it's there's no substitute for colostrum that first milk because it's it's minging like it's literally yellow sludge but it's yellow sludge covered with everything a baby needs not to die young it's very important um but after that yeah you can stick them on formula it don't really make a difference um, but Connie's getting quite stressed about it, and you can tell she's quite anxious. And Evangelina sort of talks over her and mm. says, "You know, you you should be using breast. They're, they're charlatans. You know, ignore them. They don't know what they're talking about." You but we've must. got we've got a perfect storm here, haven't we, Brew? And we've got somebody that doesn't want to listen and somebody that can't talk. Yeah, perfect storm. And inverted nipples are a nightmare. Like, they're just not a nightmare. They, like, they have no functional issue unless you're breastfeeding because basically the nipple naturally sits inwards. And even if you try and draw them out, my friend, when she had a daughter and her son, to be fair, she's got inverted nips on both sides and she just cannot breastfeed. She does, she's tried everything. They just, they don't come out at all. You sit there twiddling them and then they'll maybe come out for a bit but they're just naturally quite soft so you just it's really difficult and the baby has to be able to latch and they can't latch on a soft nipple so you can get little fake nips which you put over your other nip and it kind of funnels it and causes a little vacuum could you could you show us no okay all right thought i'd ask (laughs) <laughs> Babs, Pats and Trixie are all eating chips on the docks. Um, Trixie's like, it's like the French Riviera. I'm like, if the French Riviera was shit. Taint Monaco, yes. is it? Mm-mm. Might be Marseille circa 1500 with all the syphilis. Yeah, it's probably a good shout. I mean... I remember when my town, they went through a stage it was a couple of summers ago before COVID hit and they suddenly, they had this like this thing where they were like, we're going to start putting chairs outside when it's really warm and we're going to get these awning things. And then it looks like similar to what would happen if Paris was bombed. That's kind of what it looked like. It was just <laughs> shit. 
Like, not to mention, we don't just get sunshine. We get our summer is 10 days long, scattered, usually coming in at the very end of start of autumn. It's when we really start to get our heat. So they were like, yeah, come. And it was just sitting there outside with the pissing rain, making the awning sag. It was like, it's great. Nobody likes a saggy awning, do they? No one wants a saggy awning. <laughs> Bad for business. Um, the, so Pats and Trixie are having a chitter chatter and Babs is not really paying any attention. She's looking out to see and then they do the whole like, You've not had new chips. Medical jokes, medical jokes. I like um, that. I knew you were yeah. in your head, medical jokes, medical I really thought that was quite clever. Yes. It's one of my favourite scenes. Ever. Is it? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't read the shit on it. It's <laughs> all right. Um, but, yeah, um, she's kind of like, you know, every time I talk to Miss Beckett, she's really anxious and she just doesn't listen to me but patsy and trixie then say you know it will get better you just need a bit more experience and barbara is a bit ruffled at this and says you know she's not new anymore she's mm. been doing this for what two seasons mm. and well, she is, is experienced yeah. So, yeah oh god yeah she's more experienced than you think actually yeah but she's been there at least a year and a half maybe longer um they do she say would have already she would have already had to have been a qualified nurse as well to then go into midwifery. Yep. So she would have had to have experience as a nurse and then she would have qualified as a midwife as an additional degree or whatever yeah. they were called a at the time. Qualific- certificate. Yeah. And that's, I think, a year or six months. And then you would have to go on and have experience. So she was mm-hmm. already a trained and experienced midwife when she arrived at Nanata. So she must have been a midwife for at least maybe two years, two and a half. Mm. Yeah. So it is a little bit condescending of those yeah. two. And Muppets. And Barbara kind of says something. She says, you know, I'm not new. And Trixie goes, well, you know, you just need a few more battle scars. And Barbara says, I do have battle scars. I just don't talk about it. Mm. Which was a bit of a dig, I think, at Trixie more than anything. Or choose not to show them. Yeah, she chooses not to show them, mm. which is a dig. It is a dig, yeah. Against Trixie. Which, in some ways, I'm kind of glad because I think Barbara needs to be a bit more... Assertive, a bit more... Yeah. Yeah. But also, I think sometimes Trixie needs to be put back in a box. Yeah. You're not the be-all, love. You're very good. Excellent. But you can't be talking to people like that. Not people who are essentially very nearly as qualified as you are. Yeah. You kind of have to just be... You know, let her go. Everyone's got different ways, but that doesn't mean she's any less developed. Patsy then sort of comes in as a referee and says, well, I think you're fab, um, Barbara. And Barbara's like, oh, I'll have a chip now. But um, <laughs> I'm not a martyr anymore. I'll have a chip. <laughs> I'll have a chip. I've decided um, I'm no longer on the cross and I'll have a chip instead. <laughs> Next scene, uh, it's the Beckett's house. Um, they're listening to a bit of Sinatra. She sort of nudges the pram advert under his eyes and he says no. And they have this conversation about how he doesn't want to get into debt. And um, she gets a bit teary. And, she, and I find her a little bit whiny, which maybe isn't fair to her. I'm not sure that's fair. She gets better. And obviously at the end she regrets it, but... I don't know. Is it pregnancy hormones? But 
I feel like at this stage, there is, and I think a lot of the high blood pressure, it's alluded to that there's already this feeling from her towards him that perhaps he's not quite doing enough. Well, she says later on it's been six months. So she's nearly nine months. Then that's, she's, she's pregnant three months when he started to get, go downhill. Yeah. But she starts to cry and she says, I don't want a week in Paris. It's a pram. I only want a pram. At which point he says, you've got to learn to want less. Which I is a bit he, brutal. I think people, I think that, I think less, the basic is that your child should have a pram. Surely. That's, that's not an outrageous, uh, want for your family. No. Because otherwise she's got to run around with him strapped to her back. Yeah. Which, you, you know. Papooses now cost way more than prams cost. You know, yeah, just use a scarf. Christian Lacroix. <laughs> Lacroix. <laughs> that might be an Abfab reference. I'm not sure. <laughs> Lacroix. I, I love Abfab. <laughs> um, Johnny says that the docks are slowing down, and that's why he can't get any work. And she's like, "It's been six months, Johnny. You need to work hard for this family." And then the scene ends. Um, Phyllis is very excited. Um, they have a news system with coloured pins on a map, which is so fucking analogue. But I love her because she's like, we've got pins and a map. It's going to be amazing. Can you imagine how much? She'd have such a wide on on GPS yes. and things like that. I, that, that, I was going to say she's going to have, there's going to be so much liquid when she finds the computer, isn't there? She's good. I could see her being like 90 in a local library and being like, I need to get on the Google. No. Like I could see her doing it. My, the, there's a local centre near me that does different courses. Most of them are aimed at single mothers to help them you know cooking courses and things like that um but there's one that they do which is teaching oaps to use computers and like yeah it's it's amazing i mean they turn up they're so positive and so up for it it's like what what are you going to look for oh we want to see the porn (laughs) no you don't no you don't yeah they do they do interesting little tidbit of facts STIs, the biggest group is kind of 18 to 25 year olds. Then it goes quiet and everything kind of goes into a bell curve. And then 75 to 90, the yes. STIs go through the roof because they nursing all go to care homes, homes yeah. nursing homes yeah. and start shagging everything that moves. Yeah. They're all at it. My nan, she lives in one of those like supportive flat things they've got a room they've got a pool. is it a supportive it, well, swing <laughs> every time last time i went to go see her she was like oh they're dirty bastards <laughs> i was like what are they up to and she was like see her see her over there doing her knitting she's been having him and he's been shagging her dirty bastards <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um so Phyllis has made this new map system and um, Trixie then goes, why don't they just stick a radio transmitter onto our backs? And I'm like, that's how they do it now. Mm. You have a work phone and they can see where you are. Yeah. Real talk. Big Brother's watching you. Um, 1984. It's here already. 
exactly. Phyllis is working on council initiative for home help. So she tells everyone as they go about their business to see if anyone needs any extra support. She then says that she wants them all to learn a new language to better help their community. And she attempted to find a class in Urdu and Punjabi, but unfortunately couldn't find one. So she settled for Spanish. I love her so much. She's She's so inclusive. I think everybody should learn another language. Yeah, everybody should learn Welsh. Yeah. I think a lot of people do speak Welsh, don't they? There's quite a few in Patagonia. Yeah. If anything's in Welsh language, don't all like Welsh people, aren't they? Just like, we've got to use it. Even if it's shit, we've got to use the system. Ha- I don't know what you mean. Because Welsh was a dying language, wasn't it? And then, because it was outlawed <laughs> we, we, by the it, evil it, English. It wasn't outlawed. It It's just the language of the Anglican church and the language of education was always English so it became very much a class thing in Wales so whereas in England class can be based on peerages a lot of the time if somebody's the gentry the landed gentry you know has a title in Wales we don't really have that class system not that I'm Welsh I'm from Hull but anyway so um, class was very much based on language and what your first language was so if you spoke Welsh as your first language, you were seen as more lower class. First language English speakers were seen as more upper class, middle class, etc. Um, and so and that primarily was because uh, the language of education was English and the language of the church was the established church at that time became disestablished later in 1921. But there we go. Um <laughs> And then the non-conformist religions were all very first language Welsh. So there we go. Mm. I should have saved this for one where Mrs. Busby's in, really, shouldn't I? It's all right. You can give us a lot more Welsh patter later on. Thanks. I'm not Welsh. I'm from Hull. But you obviously have Welsh relatives. Yes. My great great aunt on my mother's side was from um, Cumbran. Oh. Yeah. They're not from um, Clamedos. Clan where? Clamedos. Clan Edos. Clamedos. Clamedos. Yeah. Chlamydia. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it stands for in Welsh? <laughs> no. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Mrs. Beckett is shouting. Hang on, I've skipped. <laughs> In the next scene, Mrs. Beckett is shouting at Johnny because he's half asleep. She says, Johnny, it's halfway through the day and you've not even opened. You're not even up from your chair. Then she goes up to the mantelpiece and brings down a piggy bank. (laughs) And she says, you do your bit. Go out. Fill it. I'm doing my bit. Then she touches her bump and it's like, ah, gender norms in one scene. Um. Babs then arrives um, and Mrs. Beckett um, kicks him out with his piggy bank because he's got to go fill it and um, starts moaning about the tramps. She was like, I'm, I'm as, as a woman supposed to live with these two homeless people living on steps outside the house. And Barbara's like, well, you know, 
they've got to go somewhere and she's like, it ain't right. Begging on the street, they got no pride. This is kind of why I didn't like her. I found her a bit preachy. I know it's of the time. No, I, I don't think it's preachy. I think she's looking out the window and per, can perhaps see her future and doesn't want yeah. it. And that, I think that's what's happening. I think that she sees those two men begging like they are, and I think she sees her husband. Yeah. Um, and I think that's more where that's coming from, to be honest with you. I think it's more a fear of what's happening rather than being, uh, at, uh, you know, terribly negative. To I could be completely reading it wrong. Yeah, no, you that's probably, how it's, I, that sounds more right than my version. But it's just because of the looking out the window, it's almost the window is the, you know, the, the almost it's like it's a it's a view into the future. This is what it's going to be like because your husband's behaving the way he's behaving. This is what's going to happen to you. And I think that's what it is. I think it's a fear rather than being anti them. I think that she would help them if she could. She's taking help from her sister where she can. She's not she's not averse to help. I think it's more a fear of where it's going. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think that sounds right. Um, there is then a cut scene where it's at the docks. Johnny kind of is a bit set back away from the main group. We're all standing there waiting to be called out and picked for work. Johnny isn't given work. He then starts to sag against a wall because he's so tired. Um it cuts back to Mrs. Beckett, whose BP is still rising. Barbara says that she's worried about the birth because her blood pressure isn't under control at the minute. It continues to rise, which could obviously increase her risk of preeclampsia and other things. Um, Mrs. Beckett then starts to cry and says that she's worried they're going to lose their home. Her husband hasn't worked properly in six months. He hasn't been bringing home any money. Um, Barbara tells her to apply for financial support from the government and she says you know johnny's changed first of all she says she doesn't want to because she doesn't want to beg um and then she says you know johnny's changed he doesn't work he's got no energy he's just useless and barbara goes well you know new fathers sometimes they get a bit stressed just before the birth and she's like he ain't got no time to be stressed i'm about to shit a baby out which is all true um (laughs) so yeah (laughs) Um, yeah, so I thought it was interesting because when Barbara does suggest that she applies for financial support, she won't do it. So there is a working class pride. Yeah, but there yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, I think to some extent the working class don't want to take help because no, we're all right. We can cope. We're getting this yeah. help here. Don't take it away from somebody else that perhaps needs yeah. it more. Um, whereas, you know, take the help you need it. Come on, there's enough to go around. your house, and you're about to have a baby. You probably need yeah. some more help. Yeah. In the next scene, it goes to Connie, who's the one with the inverted nipples. She's just had a baby boy. Um, she's instantly in love. She gives birth. Um, Evangelina then kind of mentions that she delivered Connie to Connie's mum. So obviously, she must have known Evangelina her entire life. She would have seen her around Poplar and been told that's the midwife that delivered you. She also says that her mother's dead. You know, she says, I wish my mum was here so that she could see her grandson. And Evangeline, it's almost bridging that maternal gap in the way that she's like, you know, she would have been so proud, just like I am. 
But it has to be that way for the plot line as well, doesn't it? Because if she had her mother, her mother would have been perhaps advising her differently. Yeah, I think Connie is very isolated and Mm. you kind of see that her husband's lovely, but he's not strong enough to really override this very matriarchal sense that of the midwives and the mother. Like it's not something men are that, but they do become. So he comes in. And wants to see his baby. And I, I into, love like, him. Cover I the love cover him. the flaps. Um, because he kind of like <laughs> he's seen down, it before. <laughs> Literally, like hide it. She's no. not ready for visitors. Um, he wants to see his son. Connie wants him to see their son. She's like, him. no, I want him in here. And Evangelina's like, well, I'll allow it. And it's like. This isn't your baby. Like this is somebody else's birth. It's not and her it's, house. It's not her. It's not her place to decide. They if the mother's the like, I literally, the, that sh- Connie's given birth. That's he's the father of the child. If they want to see their child, they should be allowed to see their child. It's my not house, for a stocky nun to come in and be like, no, get out. Not in yeah. my delivery room. It's not your delivery room, love. It's their house that they pay for. They're in charge. But, so haven't times changed? Yeah. Now Massively. people have got birth plans and I don't know. They want to give birth in a pool with Reiki crystals, mm. and whale music, they can. Chostics. Do you ever watch One Born Every Minute? Yeah. Love that show. I watched one and there was this mum and she was in a water. They were very hippie. Very cool characters, actually. And she was in the bath and she kind of went, and that was it the baby was out really <laughs> that was the entire birth they like got in he did like gave her like a hand massage they were talking about like reiki and all of this stuff and then she just went <sighs> and the midwife went what <laughs> oh my god that baby's out and she was like this mum was she must have been stoned like i was watching that and i was like that mum is very clearly stone to shit no one is that calm (laughs) no well so it was she just sighed the baby out it was amazing brilliant i remember dad was like ah we're going to name him gem moonstone the fifth i was like Mm, of course you are (laughs) my cousin is a midwife but is also significantly older than i am i remember uh my mum rang her for something i can't remember it was but she didn't take the call and she rang back and I took it. She said, oh, I couldn't answer the phone. I was in the pool. And I'm like, pool? Yeah, I was in the birthing pool. And I thought, you were in a birthing pool? And you were, oh, my God. I was so amazed at this whole thing that she was in a birthing pool and couldn't get to the phone. And there was a baby coming and she had a wellies or something on. And it was brilliant. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I love it. the idea that she was very welly. Yeah. <laughs> she's got her hunters on. She's fine. <laughs> she's got a fishing rod. I always think the worst situation, I think, for a midwife is to actually give birth and have to go somewhere where all your colleagues are. Okay. Because then all your colleagues are going to see your floof. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you don't do that, like, floof. face astronaut is that, is that, engineer sure. you're not like tomorrow i'm gonna come in and everyone's gonna see my floof that's the only job <laughs> where your colleagues can see your floof and then you're gonna have to go back like in a year nine months yeah. you're gonna have to go back Charlie. and they're gonna be like 
we saw your floof. Uh, Charlie, I'm pretty sure a floof is that thing that you get cobwebs out the corner of rooms <laughs> with. I, 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 I don't want you to refer to it as a floof. Do you want me to refer to it as the Velvet Tardis? No, that's that's worse. <laughs> can you can you not just use the the anatomical names? Vagina. Yeah, thank. Please okay. use that because it's <laughs> it's less ambiguous. It's less open to interpretation. How could they interpret Velvet Tardis as anything but a vagina? I don't want somebody to think that my floof is as big as a Tardis. <laughs> No, because the nor, TARDIS nor is very want, small. No, nor do I want <laughs> From the outside, the TARDIS travel. is very small, and then you go in, you're like, it's bigger than you think. I don't want them to enter me and think that they're going to wake up in, like, <laughs> like <laughs> Elizabethan London. <laughs> Guys, if you're listening and you're wondering if Kim's vagina is a time machine, it is. <laughs> it's timeless, but it's not a time machine. <laughs> Um, so yeah um, it's not a DeLorean either it's not got wings no no could it take Badly. you back to the future no it's made me all it's made my eyes are all back in my head a few times where it's, it's not taking me back to the future <laughs> be like whoa everyone's Nikes are self-lacing it's the t- days of tomorrow <laughs> Um, next scene, Phyllis attends her first Spanish class. Um, she gets there and it's a very like, buenos nachos, Phyllis. And she's like, call me Miss Crane. And they're like, we're going to be calling you Phyllis. Um, <laughs> and then Tommy arrives. Um, who's an, everyone's very young in this class. And then Tommy's oh, kind of, yeah. of her age. Um, and he's like, buenos nachos, as he turns up, um, Yorkshireman. And he instantly sort of hones in on Phyllis and starts to chat to her. I hadn't picked up that he was a Yorkshireman. Yeah. And she's a Yorkshire woman. Yeah, they're both, they've got the same accent. I, I had completely missed that. Yeah, they're both from up north. Oh, they're from up north. Because the guy who plays Tommy is in so many Yorkshire productions. He was in um, nope, Last Angel in Halifax. He is, but he will always be in Hornblower for me. Downton Abbey. Yeah, Hornblower. Plays Daisy's stepdad. Yeah, no, father-in-law. Father-in-law, yeah. Hornblower. Never seen it. What? Never seen Hornblower, what is it about? What? I've never even heard of it. What's Hornblower? You've never read the books? C.S. No. Forrester? No. Never heard of it. Charlie, I'm re-establishing. I, I, need, to re- I need to think about this now. <sighs> I don't know if I can continue. Are you undone? Yeah. I'll look into it. Like, tell me afterwards what it's about. I've never heard of it. Well, it's about a young man who's a midshipman. A hornblower. Yeah, hornblower. Horatio Hornblower. Who as ends in up... Shakespeare, Horatio. No, as in Nelson. He's 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 on ships. Nelson in, ships. In the Napoleonic times. They're really good. My Is it like sh- sharp? Yes, but boats. I've read sharp. Well, sharp, but boats. My oh. mum used to read them to us when we were a child. 
little three-year-old Kim like because now we're royal we. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we had the rescuers. <laughs> By the Welsh <laughs> nanny who tell us all of the stories of Wales yeah. in Hull. Yeah. Um, Hull's a seaport, that's where it came from. Exactly. Yeah, there's no sea around Wales. Luckily, it's a landlocked country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ireland gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Giants Causeway getting in the way. Fucking um, Irish. If you're Irish and listening, please remember we do drink. And we love the Irish. Kim's actually married to an Irishman. Yeah. Donovan. Yeah. So. He's I did notice as well that when Phyllis and Tommy um, have any kind of romantic moment, there's a little bit of Spanish classical guitar going on in the background. Mm. It's probably Julia Bream. It's a bit... um, it's like a tango, isn't it? I don't know what you're doing. It sounds like a video game music. It's it's Tango Roxanne from Moulin Rouge. Roxanne? Roxanne. That didn't sound like anything like you that. You don't have to put on your red lights. Roxanne. Yeah. You Please stop. It's the, it's the violin. It's the violin that just oh, makes it. First time I heard it, all the hairs on my arms stood on end. Okay. New scene. Uh, New scene. Patsy, and Barbara are in the bedroom. Who else? Yes. Trixie's making Patsy a drink, and what's the line you wanted to bring up? Well, she just she says, "Am I the only one drinking calamari?" And I feel like it's a little bit fishy. She's been waiting all podcasts to bring that one up. (laughs) No, I haven't. Yes, I have. (laughs) I know she says Campari, but the first time I heard it, it sounded like calamari. And I I like calamari calamari. with a nice garlic mayonnaise. Yeah. And a squeeze of lemon. No, I don't like lemon. What? I don't like lemons. Gotta have lemon on fish. No, don't like it. It's the law. No, never. I'd have yours then. You wish. <laughs> We're, you're not, you having, me you're not having fish my with... lemon fish, you bitch. <laughs> you and whose arm is going to stop me? <laughs> so, um, they're having a drink and Barbara is writing a letter to her dad um, asking for his advice. They then say, oh, isn't that boring? Um <laughs> basically um and trixie says you know don't do you want to tell him about all of the exciting things you do and patsy says um excitement is what parents want for other people's children not their own which i thought was a really good line um and i have to say a shout out to riv riv who's also called jess um she sent me she's done a module on call the midwife and she sent me a fucking amazing mind map about like all the characters and like from one note taker to another i got a bit moist it was so well presented there was like different 
graphs and different sections and there was a real tree and it was also sensible and so organized i just fucking marie kondo it sparked so much joy in me i was like that is a well-made set of notes oh (laughs) so you know riv jess if i ever want some notes doing i'm coming to you jess can you send that to me is that all right? Hopefully you're listening. I would like to read this. And also, Jess is the only person to put a review on our i on our podcast. Is she? On iTunes store. And it's so sweet. And I wanted to read it out. That's the point, guys. You do a review and we will read it out. I didn't know this. This is news to me. Um, read it. I am. Just, oh, hang on. <laughs> is that is is that your phone buzzing or is it something else? Uh, no. So Riv Riv said Riv Riv O three. She said always a highlight of my week listening to Charlie Kim and Sam. They always make me laugh and sometimes there are some tears. So thanks, Jess. Is it things I've said that makes her cry? I mean tears of laughter. Oh, okay. Weird. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so, um, they say, to, going back to the story, they say to Barbara, how dull, um, Barbara then, I feel like this whole scene was meant to point out that Barbara comes from a religious family. There's a lot of little things like when she's talking to Miss Beckett at the start of the episode and things like that. It's constantly reinforcing that she has this familial link to the church. So when she does get with Tom, it's like, yeah, you can kind of see how that works. They're almost yeah, trying to especially put in now how she would be a good match. How Tom. compatible they are. So they're highlighting that compatibility and they're slowly showing that they're becoming friends without there being any romance. Yeah. But you'd have to be a blind man sitting in a dark room with a bucket on his head not to see where this was heading anyway. Yeah, it's heading towards Barbara's bucket. Exactly. Um, but Barbara then says that her father used to introduce her as a, when she was younger as his assistant. And she said, but as a child, I did dream that one day he would say, this is Barbara, my daughter. And Patsy and Trixie look at each other like, ah, that's sad. I mean, and for Patsy to look at someone and go, what is that childhood? You know you've got a pretty bad set. <laughs> Let's face it, they've all had shit childhoods compared to Barbara's. Barbara's was ace. I mean, Barbara's dad loved her. Trixie's dad was an alcoholic with PTSD, who she was made to perform for whenever he was having a bad moment with his mental health. So that put immense pressure <laughs> onto her. And Patsy was raised in a prisoner of war camp watching her family die. And they feel so, sorry for Barbara. They're both I mean, like, I, I know well, Barbara that's lost it. her mum early, but she had a dad that loved her and included her in his life. He didn't, like, say, you're not here anymore. My wife's died. I don't want anything to do with my children. I'll go on and have my life and whatever. He included her. That's yes. brilliant. That, for that time, that's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, I just found that that, that little cutscene where Patsy and Trixie look at each other really <laughs> yeah. sadly. I was like, guys. <laughs> or was it, was it the thought that, oh my God, she had a better childhood than we did. She's lovely. Or they could have been ironic and looked at each other like, wow, 
that's the worst story she can share about her childhood. Patsy's like, do you think later on we'll have a few more calamaris and I'll tell her about <laughs> how my sister died of TB. And my mother died the week later. Yeah. Mm. And Trixie will say something equally as bad. Yeah. And then Barbara will be like, perform. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. My so, dad once, once said that I couldn't have a sweetie. It is bad. It is bad, Barbara. Bless her. So next scene, Phyllis and Tommy are flirting with one another after the end of the class. Um, he offers to walk her home in Spanish. Um, with a really Yorkshire accent. Come on, Estas. Do you want some Yorkshire tea with that love? And um, uh, she goes, oh, no, I have a motor car. Um, and he's like, ah, but I am a flangra, flagra, flagrego, something like that. He's a, And she's like, what? Um, and he goes, I'm a hopeless romantic. I walk every night through the streets of London as if it was the first time in seeing it and I fall in love with it. Which is such a fucking line. That's a bit, that's OTT. It's over the top, like he's very much flirting with her. But there's mutual flirting, because even for Phyllis, like, um, she's flirting back with him. And she, you can clearly tell she's all tingly. Um, and there's a bit of uh, <laughs> Spanish guitars in the background. Yeah. You know, they like each other. There's a bit of moisture. Scene. She's a little bit moist. Next scene cuts to a couple of days later. Mrs. Beckett is having her blood pressure taken again, and it's much lower. And as she's doing that, she's got her silver cross pram that oh. she's been desperate for. And she's talking about, look at that, look at that brake pedal. You'd think it was ivory. Um, Johnny's got his jobs back. You know, he's bringing in a wage now. We're sorted. Everything's going to be fine. Mm. Um, and I think as a viewer, we all kind of go, Ooh, oh, leave it. Mm, don't think so. Too early in the episode for everything to be resolved. Heidi's not that, Heidi's not that uh, clear cut. Come on. Mm-mm. Um, but she's very happy with his pram and she's just very, you know, she says, you know, I was hor- I'm sorry for what I said before. You know, I was just stressed, but now everything's going to be fine. He's, you know, we've got that pram. We're in a little family. We can sort everything out. She's very much relieved mm. to her cost. Um, so the next scene. Connie cannot breastfeed. That's the bottom line. Um, she wants to use formula and she says so to Evangelina, but Evangelina says to her instantly, no, you must keep trying. Breast is best. You must do it. You don't want to be a failure. You don't want to make a mistake now. You want to keep going. Um, and she's saying, you know, you want to give your child the best start in life. And the only way to give them the best start in life is to give them the breast. And it's very clear when you're looking at Connie, you know, she's got bags under her eyes, she's sweating, she's disheveled. Mm. She becomes more disheveled every time we see her. Yeah, great actress. Great actress. But she's stressed. She's not managing very well at all. Not at all. And Evangelina is missing all of those signs. Mm. She's not just dismissing the signs. She is dismissing the cry for help as well. It's a it's it's a palpable cry for help here. It's and literally it. someone's in a burning building, and she's yeah. like, "You'll be fine. Don't worry yeah. about it. You'll be fine. There's nothing to worry about." And they're literally, she's literally going, "The house is on fire," and she's like, "Push through." 
Yeah. But I can, it, it, it's not a maliciousness. It's the fact that Evangelina is quite right to say that, as you have said already this episode, that first milk is the most important milk. It will, there's a lot of things in that milk that you will not get from a formula. And, yeah. but, and she is, that's it. You're doing this. But she, there's probably also Evangelina's um, knowledge of the East End thinking, well, they don't need to spend money on this fabricated stuff because there's free stuff that comes out of them. So that's better for them in the long run as well. She's just so wedded to a narrative and so blind to what the person or her patient is trying to say to her that she's just plowing on regardless. And when she has her awakening later in the episode, it's it's really she does need that. She needs that re-evaluation of where she is in her life, career, um, calling. And I think as well, it's about patient autonomy. And in mm. this instance, it's about female autonomy. Like pre-formula, women only had the breast. So if you were a woman who had an inverted nipple or you got mastitis and you couldn't get the treatment in order to manage your mastitis, then your baby would be on water and would be undernourished. And as a result of that, there could be ongoing issues as an adult because of their development with their limbs and their joints at that age. Children but also the very... infant mortality would be related to this as well. Exactly. So it's not that, you know, yes, adding formula is another thing. And if you're from an impoverished area, you could see from one argument, like you said, that, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, why spend your money on something when you yourself can produce a much healthier substitute? However, it's about female autonomy and about giving mm. people options and yeah. allowing them to make the option that's right for them, their child, their body and their needs. But that's the key. Breast is best, but you have to have the choice to do something else that's almost as good and it is yeah. almost as good there is there's nothing wrong with it at all your child will get as what it needs from that and it's, also it's, it's not like it's the not mother's health so it's no not it's not i mean um a member of my family she had epilepsy um she had a baby she breastfed for the first two months she was slowly weaning onto formula because she was starting to take epilepsy medication again, which would have been transferred and damaged her son. She then died. And there was no breast milk then available, was there? So if we hadn't had formula at the time, then he would have been, we'd have had to try and find a wet nurse or try and first someone else to give him extra milk until he was old mm. enough to go onto solid foods. And that would be a whole other concern that's just not easily accessible. So you do need to have alternatives because mm. you can never account for every situation that's going to happen. You can't be wedded to one thing. Yes, you there's always, always going to be, to be something that's better, but but other things that are good do not mean that they're bad. Just because it's not as good as something doesn't mean it's bad for the baby. For example, there's lots of examples like so people who are part of religious groups that can't accept blood like Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. There are now um, platelet transfers which don't include blood, which is more costly, but allows them to match their religious principles. Someone who is devoutly Jewish, um, obviously they can't have pork. 
but a lot of heart valve replacements are pull sign mm. valves which then means if someone's having a heart valve replacement, they can't have it because it's porcine. Whereas now they have an alternative, which is bovine. So it's a cow, more expensive, but it means that people can still live on their principles. You always have to have alternatives and be researching things because you never know. Something might come up and actually be better than what we have now. Mm. And that's how science has improved. And that's why mortality rates are much lower. Absolutely. And medicine Absolutely. has continued because we've, as scientists, they've gone... Okay, we have this. Let's see if we can do something better. But the first discovery of something isn't always the best. No. We always develop and we always improve. And like, would you rather have a first, the first motor car that was ever invented, or would you rather have a Ferrari? Well, I'd rather. mm, I don't know. I've got a little bit of a soft spot for the Austin Healey, actually, but never mind. Oh, well. Um, so next scene, Barbara goes to the pub, which I'm pretty sure is the black swan, which is Val's sale. aunt's yeah. black sale. Yeah. It's Val's aunt's pub, isn't it? Definitely. And her grandma. Yeah. That's and that is her aunt, her. Yes, Aunt Polly. Definitely. And she says while she's there that her granddaughter, who would be Val's cousin well, or Val's sister. No, Val's niece or second cousin. Second cousin. Yeah. Because if she's she's Val's aunt, her daughter will be Val's first cousin and her granddaughter will be Val's second cousin. But this is a point that I was going to make for later on, because Valerie, when she turns up, has she been she's been in the army and then she's come out. She was in Quarrank and then she came out and she's now pulling pints. Yeah. But she's not a midwife because one thing we know about serving soldiers in the 1960s and 50s was that not a lot of men were giving birth. So no, but a lot of their wives would have been. Yeah, but Quarank wouldn't have done that, would they? Well, why wouldn't they? You would have a Quarank on army bases. Yeah, but she was a field nurse, was she was not? She? I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure she was a field yet. nurse. Um. There are plot holes. Hi, yeah. can you sort this out for us, love? I know. But so Val has to come back. But Charlie. <laughs> but the next series, they say she's been back for a year, so she would have been back now. Well, she could have been off shift. Yeah, she could have been off shift. But the point is, they all act as though they've never heard from her, never met her, know nothing about her. But the Nanatans are visiting the Black Sale, and they all know, her, like they know the barmaid by name and things like that because they go well, to, they use this pub a couple of times when is call the midwife ever made sense when they're trying to change characters i'm just saying i feel like they went we'll keep the pub because if you want a new midwife she's we like, a the pub. we like her she's funny we can give her a, a mum who's gonna do shit grandma um no, so no. while Barbara's there, she sees Johnny sitting at a table nursing a pint. She asks him if he's all right, and he says that he lies and says, oh, you know, I'm just having a swift half before I go home. At which point the barmaid, Polly, says, I've never known a man to nurse a pint so long. Haven't you got a home to go to? Which is basically scuppering his lie instantly so that Barbara knows he's been sitting in the pub when his wife thinks that he's at work. But it's also telling us as viewers that he's not there drinking all day. 
No, he's, he's, ordering, not, he's not drinking. He's drinking what? He's ordering a pint and he's sitting there all day just holding it. Well, he doesn't have any money to pay for lots of pints. No, but I think it's a bit more than that. I think it's a place to go. I think it's a place where he feels not judged, um, not judged because there are people like him around there. But also, it's probably where he would have gone after work for a pint as well. Yeah. I think if it feels almost like perhaps where home doesn't feel home because of the way his wife is um, on his case a little bit. And she, she is a little bit on his case, to be fair. I feel like that this almost feels like a second home to him where he can go and not feel uh, emasculated by the fact that he can't pay for his wife to have a decent pram. He can't pay for his wife to have a decent meal. Yeah. It's sad. Johnny then asks Barbara not to say anything to his wife. Um, he says, you know, I'll, the shifts will pick up soon. Barbara doesn't agree, but she doesn't not agree. It's um, not Barbara's scene, place to judge, is it, at the end of the No. Day? Next scene, uh, Julian and Cynthia are checking through the baby records just to see weights and stuff. Evangelina's coming back from Connie's place, and they say, oh, Evangelina, how is Connie's baby doing? Um... Evangelina says, you know, she she wants to continue with breasts. She doesn't want to use formula. Um, Cynthia and, um, says, well, you know, maybe she'll have to use formula if she can't breastfeed. And Evangelina's like, no, you know, she just needs a bit of time and she'll manage. So she's speaking for the patient, even though the patient has said specifically that she wants to go on formula. Can I be a little bit controversial here? Go for it. As much as Evangelina is in the wrong here, I think to some extent Sister uh, Mary Cynthia is in the wrong. And I think she should have been a little bit more assertive and a little bit more actually. It's fine. Use the formula. The baby needs the nutrients. Do it. Both, Both to the mother and to Sister Evangelina. I think there's almost a little bit of a failing on her behalf here. She's dead because say, she though. knows, but she knows what's going on, and she isn't forceful enough. She's doing what the mother's doing, and she's just capitulating to a stronger character. Yeah, no, I agree, but I don't think so. Evangelina is her community midwife, not Cynthia. Cynthia is raising concern, even though she's not following this baby up. It's not part of her caseload. That she's recognised that there's a problem or a potential problem and she's checking up on it. And later on, she's the one to go and see. No, she should have gone to a superior at that point. But she says it in front of Julianne, who is both their superiors. Yeah, but she should have perhaps made it more overtly. I'm very concerned about this. I know what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. As our line manager, for want of a better (laughs) expression, I am raising this issue with you that you need to deal with. It wasn't put in that term. It was put in almost. I feel like Cynthia's quite a. She's an interesting character because she can be strong, but she's naturally quite timid. She is, but she's one of the most experienced midwives around that table. Yeah, and I think as well when you see that. Julianne and Cynthia are going through the roster and all the information with the babies. She's not doing that with Evangelina. No. She's gone and got Cynthia. And I think when Sheila left, Sheila, I think she almost has like a sibling relationship with Evangelina. 
they, yes, she's Evangelina's boss, but at the same time, they have a camaraderie. She cares for Monica Joan like a batty aunt. Um, yes, I think the issue with Evangelina is that as a manager, regardless of who you're, if you've got somebody in your team who's older than you, more experienced than you, you will automatically in some instances defer to them. You'll give them more credit and more um, leeway. more leeway than you might give to other people. And I think this is one of those instances. But I was also going to say that when she, because Sheila was almost Julian's daughter substitute. Yeah. And Julian has said since, you know, has said in episodes, you know, you were like a daughter to me. And then when in later episodes where Sheila has her baby, you know, she wants Julian there because and there's a mother daughter bond. When Sheila left, she left a hole, which I think could have been filled by Cynthia. I think Cynthia starts to take on some of those because Winnie isn't that person she's not a team worker she's not quiet she's not considered Winnie can be a bit brash but there's not the Cynthia, rapport there yeah Cynthia has that rapport and is trusted and has a faith and Julianne cares for her so I feel like if Cynthia didn't leave and all of that stuff I feel like Cynthia could have become another Sheila to Julianne mm. possibly I think you're probably right that was kind of her Which... spot to be which makes it weird that other people sought out Cynthia in later episodes. Maybe she couldn't. And she does go and visit her. Yeah, but it shouldn't break her out. No. If you care for somebody that much, you would you would be in the breakout party. And that's the thing, isn't it? But at the time, and we'll talk about this when we come to that episode, because I'm sure if we do that episode, it'll be really interesting. If we do that episode. Yeah. Guys, we um, need to know how many episodes you want us to do. Yeah, like it would be interesting to get some feedback on whether you guys want us to do every episode in the series or if you would rather us just focus on the Pupcake episodes. If we just do the Pupcake episodes, we've probably got about six left, mm. maybe a few more. Yeah, it depends if we do the Delia-only episodes in season six. Or if you'd rather we do episode by episode. Up to you guys. Um, Let us know. Please be active. Please tell us. Yes. Um, So in the next scene, Phyllis arrives back at class, but it's been cancelled. Oh, no. Oh, no. Tommy has been waiting for her. (laughs) Tommy has been waiting for her. At the little thing that says that the class is, and um, they have a discussion about, oh, it's quite sad. And they agree to go for a cup of tea and a cake. Um, I think it's Phyllis who suggests they go for a cup of tea. And then he says that he adds the cake afterwards. Then may I buy you a slice of cake? Um, and off they go. And again, it's I love the Spanish guitar in the background. It's very romantic. Um, scene after that, Tom is seen feeding the tramps. Um, Barbara sees him as she's coming back from a sh- something. Um, and they sit and bond over it. She goes into his house and he's, and, you know, she's amazed that he's thought about these tramps. And he says that he makes soup every single day for the tramps, which has never come up before, never been discussed, but, no. um, 
Barbara then seeks his advice about Tommy. She says, you know, what would you do if, you know, you had one parishioner who was doing something which might upset the other parishioner, but you shouldn't say and has asked you not to say anything. Tom then goes, I listen to confessions every single day. You needn't be quite so um, careful with me because I know what's going on, which is a bit lordy, but I'll let it go. Um, Tom then says to her, you shouldn't tell anyone you shouldn't say anything you should keep it to yourself um and then barbara goes i'm so glad i got your advice tom tom then says she's a warrior and then barbara washes all his stuff up um (laughs) oh domestic 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 yeah yeah they just show that they're compatible and she's seeking his advice you know which he would do if you were yeah they're kind of yeah, they're they're much more compatible to Trixie and Tom. Yeah, but you know, Trixie's hot. Trixie is hot. Next scene, Phyllis and Tommy are on their date. Um they're talking about going on holiday and he says, you know, did your career stop you going on holiday abroad? And she says, you know, I love my job, but yes it did and he says that he's been to the Spanish Riviera and it was beautiful and um Phyllis asks him if he drives and he says he couldn't afford the expense of a motor car. Um, and they and she goes, oh, you must go. It's beautiful driving up the road. And then you find a grassy knoll and you stay off and have a picnic. There's nothing more free. <laughs> Kennedy off the grassy knoll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What's that? So, grassy knoll. Uh, yeah. Come on, people. Uh, grassy knoll. So then they agree that, you know, maybe one day in Potentia they might have a picnic together. I like that they're flirting like this. It's really cute. It's nice to see Phyllis relaxed and actually with someone, if you know what I mean. Like so much of the time she's kind of like that old sage. She's the older one in the group. But this is her just having fun and letting her hair loose. Yeah. I feel like this is almost Phyllis circa 1930. I feel like this is a young Phyllis. Yeah, it kind of makes her a bit girlish, doesn't it? Um, Next scene, Tommy and Mrs. Bennett. uh, Also, again, Heidi does not tell us her name until she has the baby, until she's giving birth. We know that he's called Johnny. But we don't know her name until she's like in the birthing suite. That's weird. Why does she, she does do it that? every episode? I, I wait. Well, I wait until some... her name, by the way, is uh, Stella. There Stella must Bennett. Be something about this. I asked my mother-in-law, who's had six babies, and I was like, "What's the crack? Is this a thing?" And she said. The sisters used to always call you by your married name because obviously everyone was married. So you were never called by your first name ever by the sisters. Even the young sisters wouldn't call you by your name. You were Mrs. So-and-so. So it was just the way it went. So they would, they might call, they would call the husbands Mr. So-and-so, but they could then call the husbands by their first name. But they always call, even in hospital, they would call them like come on mrs bennett bear down you just <laughs> it's like, mm, okay it was just a professional 
thing. And some of them could be very austere, apparently. Professional courtesy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, come on, people, blow on them. It's not hard. Um. So anyway, Tommy and Mrs. Bennett are having a cuddle on the sofa. Um, she kisses him and tastes beer on his lips. And he lies and said he stopped for a quick half with his mates after shift. And she's like, oh, well, you deserve it. Um, so you can kind of see the perfect storm brewing on that one, can't you? Um, the next scene, Phyllis comes back and she's so happy and in love and giggly. And she's like on cloud nine. And Patsy's like, Nurse Crane, the board's on fire and several orphans have been punched in the face. And she's like, very good, Nurse Mount. And wonderful. Carry off. on. Carry on. Doing a wonderful job. I'm going she's not upstairs. even fussed. I'm going upstairs to my bedroom. Um, I'm not going to do anything else. Think of Spanish. <laughs> we can't. Not with Phyllis. I was going to make a joke about, like... She's anyway. whacking one off. She's sure. not! No! <laughs> Phyllis would never. <laughs> she probably would, to be fair. She's that. She's pretty forward-thinking. Um, but she comes back. And Monica Jones says, These Spanish classes, long may they live... Um, have you ever seen uh, Nurse Crane say so much and yet so little? Mm, it's very it's telling. So Monica she's Jones even... is so perceptive. She's, she's so got perceptive. It. But then Phil, there's like a scene where Phyllis gets into bed and she's got her hair in curlers and she's still <laughs> she like... She giggles. She's still giggling. <laughs> she's, and even and Barbara's it. grinning at her. And yeah. she's like... <laughs> ah, <laughs> oh, she turns on her side. <laughs> She's so Tommy, happy. Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. So next scene is at the docks. Um, men are coughing in red dust um, and they're rolling really big barrels down a street. But it just looks unhealthy. You know, you, mm. you can't be working in an environment. You know, they've got no air protection. They're not wearing face masks, not wearing anything. That's all going into their lungs. And it kind of shows maybe why they've got so many lung breathing problems. Yeah. Why somebody getting pneumonia and things like that. All Mm -hmm. respiratory problems. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Bennett arrives at the docks um, and she wants to bring Johnny his lunch. She meets um, the boss and she says, you know, will you tell me what dock he's on? He's forgotten his lunch. And the boss says that he Johnny hasn't worked for them for almost six months. Um, And Mrs. Beckett's like, what do you mean? He's told me he's working for you. She says, no, 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 Mrs. Bennett, you're completely wrong. You need to go and speak. Your husband's been telling you porky pies. You need to go and check with him because he hasn't worked for me. Um, (coughs) Um, Viewer announcement, public service announcement. uh, Charlie is dying in the corner. She's fine. There are currently paramedics seeing to her, and they're, ooh, it's mouth to mouth. Oh, no, that's her wife. Oh, no, it's Spud. Hang on. I can't tell. They're too far away. Um, sorry, Mrs. Beckett faints. Um, I drank some of my drink, and it went down the wrong hole. <laughs> um, I have that. Yeah, it goes up the wrong end. Interesting. Yeah. Usually when Oil a girl spits or water No, so usually when a girl spits on me, it's fine. Fair enough. Next scene, Cynthia's weighing Connie's baby. Um, and it's been noted that Connie's baby is losing a lot of weight. 
Um, Colleen's really anxious. Cynthia asks um, if she's having any difficulty in feeding. And yeah, so Connie then just starts parroting Evangelina's breast is best. Sorry. Um, and, you know, she just needs to push through it all, et cetera, et cetera. She's worried that if she doesn't breastfeed, that it's going to make her a bad mother. So mm-hmm. Evangelina's kind of judgments have really had an impact in her her belief of how motherhood works obviously we know that's bollocks some people can't breastfeed and it doesn't make them any less of a mother to bottle feed um cynthia's obviously quite concerned though Noosey. babs finds johnny at the pub and tells him that his wife now knows and she's collapsed at the docks tommy says um what does she know does she know that i've worked like a slave but was thrown out Barbara makes tea then, so takes takes Tommy back to his house. Barbara then makes tea um, while they're arguing. Mrs. Bennett says that, you know, he has no backbone. Johnny admits that he pawned his docker's hook to pay for the pram. What does the docker's hook do? Well, it it grabs the bags and pulls the bags. Wouldn't that rip the hessian? Well, no, because the hessian's too strong, so it just grabs them. And then they throw them so quickly, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, Barbara says, the two of you need to stop arguing. Uh, Miss Beckett, you need to stop arguing because it's bad for your blood pressure, which is bad for the baby. Mrs. Beckett then throws her husband out uh, on the street. She kicks him out and um, she says the immortal line, which I'm sure she would regret later on when she says that she's carrying this baby she can't carry johnny as well um and then she says you ain't no good for me and then kicks him out which is a really well delivered line (laughs) i am really sorry um my puppy's got really bad fomo um but if i let him into the room where we're recording he um he starts scrabbling at his toy box and wants to play. So I'm kind of between the devil and the deep blue sea. Uh, my wife is out there. He, you know, he's he has someone to cuddle, but I'm his mum. So, yeah, please just ignore the dog barking in the background. Um, next scene, Barbara decides to take it upon herself to go to the dog. And she asks the boss about Johnny. The boss says that Johnny... Um, was feckless, not a good worker. He'd be found sleeping in pallets on the job. Um, Barbara says, men give you their lives, Mr. Gibson. At least respect them. Um, And he says, this is institution, not charity. Now, a little known fact is Mr. Gibson is actually the grandfather of Jeffrey Bozos. So his family went over to america afterwards and that's how amazon work it's the same principle really yeah wow yeah, it's interesting it's interesting, interesting. <clears throat> phyllis approaches patsy and trixie um and says that you know would they mind letting her understand how a gramophone works because she wants to play a spanish love song lp and Trixie's like, I can do you one better and you can I'll play the LP for you so you can listen to it. So they go up to their bedroom. They're all laying on the bed and Phyllis is like, ah, so lovely. Um, and they have a really, really Spanish arms, Spanish arms. She's thinking about Tommy. Yeah. Um, 
Trixie is smoking quite laconically and says um, she says there's she sometimes thinks there must have been a terrible hole in her life before keep fit. Patsy then says, charming, that must have been the nights that you were with me. Trixie doesn't look at her, but goes, they weren't. And then Patsy freezes. Going back to my side theory that Patsy and Trixie totally could have been a thing if Dee Dee hadn't come back. There was an undercurrent in that little thing. Yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, Yeah. Now that you've said that, I kind of agree with you. I'm not this is why fan fiction yeah. exists. Yeah, people write like... it. Sam? <laughs> no, no, no. Sam's got too much on a plate. Okay. Uh, Patsy says that she envies Phyllis. You know, she's got her motor car. She's got her profession. No one asks Phyllis when she'll get married or why she doesn't have a gentleman friend. Trixie does an eye roll, which again, I was like, guy. Um, guy. <laughs> Phyllis goes, well, you know, I do believe we should all live as we please. Providing, you know, nobody gets hurt. Um, these are wonderful days, days, girls. Take hold of opportunities. You're not given opportunities. You have to grab them with both hands. And Patsy then goes, I'd adore to. Which mm. is a bit sexually frustrating. With, a wistful, with, a, with wistful a wistful look. With a wistful look. What does she want to grab with both hands? Boobs. Boobs. Delia's boobs. If you think Patsy would like to grab something different with two hands, do let us know on the Discord. We'd love I, to hear. No, my theory is she's grabbing boobs with her hands and clit with her mouth. That's my theory. Okay. I can take that theory. Run with it, babe. Run with it. <laughs> Run with it. Um... I also noticed that Patsy's a bit more sexually frustrated, but she's more comfortable to say things that maybe she wouldn't have done in the start. Phyllis sort of admits Mm. that she feels a bit out of place. She feels like the hen let out in a group of chicks when she's at her class. And then she asks if the girls will polish her up a bit and they like give her a makeover and it's so cute. It's not. She looks awful. Yeah, it's not a good makeover. It doesn't suit her at all. No. No, that lipstick's dreadful. <laughs> the next scene is Spanish class. Um, Phyllis is looking pretty. Um, she meets Tommy and he goes, oh, you look lovely. And then she kind of goes, oh, I don't know why. I haven't done anything new, which is a very like girl thing to do. Um, she also says, perhaps it's my new Cardi. Um, Phyllis then is quite nervous and she invites him um, to go for a car journey. And he says, well, I shall pay for the fuel. And she goes, we shall go Dutch. Um, and he says, then I shall ba- pay for our supper. Um, and she goes, oh, the service station at Watford Gap. Wow. <laughs> I've been dying to go. Oh. God, fly free, yeah, but, fly high, Phyllis. But the M1 would have been a new road back then. The service stations on the Watford Gap would have been amazing. Yeah. It would have been like it would have been like going to a theme park to us. It would have been yeah. exciting and new. It was and... a big thing to go there. Oh, people, yeah. They used to give people pens and badges and stuff if you yeah. went to the Watford Gap service station. Um, so and he agrees. days also where there was no fast food, there was no convenience food. Everything was cooked there and then. It was like yeah. a proper restaurant. So... Table service and everything. It's considered mm. because only real people who had money could afford a proper motor car. So yeah. the people that were going to be using the service station would have been from a higher well, class, and therefore the services had to be better. 
to be fair, a lot of people who were on low incomes could afford motor cars. The point is that going by rail would have been cheaper. So if you were yeah. driving by car, there was a there was a reason for that. You were a little bit, oh, hello. It was the private jet compared to the, you know, easy jet of today. Yeah. Um, he then says if she's going to, um, he wants to take her to a flamenco dance the following week. So basically, and she goes, oh, my diary is certainly filling up. And he's like, you know what, Phyllis? So is mine. And it's like, Spanish love guitar in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Next scene. Connie's husband arrives at Donatus as a a canter, knocks on the door. Cynthia answers and he goes, you've got to come. It's my Connie. She's not doing well. They get back to Connie's place and Connie is distraught. She's standing up. The baby is very limp in her arms. Uh, She's bleeding from the nipples. There's a spreading pool of blood around her chest. Um, Connie says that she wants to keep trying. She's worried that she's failed. And um, Cynthia kind of stops that in its track and goes, you know what? I think we need to put all of that aside now and focus on what's best for you and what's best for your baby. And all of that other stuff can just come at another time. Now isn't the discussion. We need to move to formula. Mm-hmm. Um, as she takes the baby off Connie to do a little inspection, she realizes that the baby is seriously dehydrated. Um, they've got a soft patch babies yeah fondle i don't know what it's called i can't remember um but you can depress it and if they're dehydrated it doesn't refill it's a bit like it's the skull you can assess it's the skull but you can it's a similar you couldn't do it in a baby but in an adult you can assess someone's dehydration by the turgor of their skin so if you Mm. pinch the skin of the forearm and then release it if someone's severely dehydrated the skin won't ping back so anything longer than five seconds, the skin to ping back is a sign of severe dehydration. That's someone who needs IV fluids and things like that, because there's a high chance they're going to have a heart attack or a stroke. Jesus. Um, so, yeah. Um, next scene, Dockman's fine Johnny. Um, he's collapsed somewhere in the dock area. They've called Dr. Turner. He's got blood pissing out of his nose. He's non-responsive. Clearly something has gone very wrong. Um mm. Seeing after that, Monica, Joan and Evangelina are in the clinic. Um, I love them together. I just like it where we have Evangelina and Monica, Joan, and they can just because they're both quite comical actors, actresses. Yeah. Pam Ferris has done a lot of comedy where she's been the comedy, but a very deadpan comedy. Mm -hmm. It just works when they're together. Well, yeah, but Judy Parfit's very much a straight actress. But if you look back on comedies... A lot of the straight actresses, I don't mean straight in the sense that they're not gay. I mean straight in the sense that they're not comedy. Sorry, it's a British term for the Americans out there. But um, a lot of actresses, regardless of whether they've got a comedy name or not, will have good timing. And a lot of comedy is about good timing. And Judy Parfit has immense timing. She's so good. She knows when to come in with a really good line. And yeah, Yeah. comedy is all about the right line at the right time and how to pace it. Um, So she they have a bit of back and forth. Cynthia then arrives and asks to speak to Evangelina privately, which is good, because one thing I've noticed is if Evangelina sees that somebody's done something wrong, she collars them immediately and has them out in front of everybody. Cynthia doesn't do that. Cynthia does that as you would do which is taking somebody outside of the situation to have a private word with them. Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, as she leaves, Monica Jo knocks over the map. Do you remember the pins in the map board from earlier that was a teeny yep. tiny scene? Yep. Knocks Yellow them all pin. over and Yellow the pins pin. go everywhere. So she then shoves pins in at random, causing chaos to Phyllis's pin and map system. <laughs> um, Cynthia meets with Evangelina in the hallway. And Evangelina's like, out with it quick. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, so she's almost, Evangelina is taking a senior attitude to Cynthia. She's kind of bossing her around. Um, Cynthia takes, explains to her, you know, I've just been to Connie's house. That baby was a day off severe illness. It was, the child was very dehydrated. And it's because of a direct action of your advice that this mother allowed her child to become so unwell because she was mm. forcing herself to breastfeed. Evangeline's initially quite defensive. She's like, well, I never I never said that. I never said that she had to do breastfeed. And it's like, let's just circle that phrase and let's circle every scene beforehand, Evangelina. And actually, kind of that is babe. what you said. Kind of did, and she says, well, I never meant for her to think that she couldn't breastfeed. And Cynthia says, you know, you have so much power, you know, so much you garner so much respect within the community. You need to use that power correctly because yep. you're putting people's lives at danger because she's not changing with the times and she's not adapting to the new things that are available and she's not listening. With great power comes great responsibility. I love Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man too. <laughs> it's not Bunty. It's not Bunty, but it's good. So the next scene after that, Dr. Turner is meeting with Mrs. Beckett um, in her home. Dr. Turner explains that her husband, Tommy, has pneumonia. Um, and she kind of dismisses this initially and says, it's the dust from the docks. He just oh, needs a vapor bath. They all get it. They all, they all get, get it. it. They just need a vapor bath and he'll be right as rain. So clearly this was a very common thing. And I imagine, I don't know off the top of my head if anybody does, but the mortality rate for dock workers couldn't have, they mustn't have that higher life expectancy. Backbreaking, laborious work, working in high dust, you know, stuff's coming off ships. You don't know where it's been. You don't know if there are diseases. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. So there's, it's probably not that good an area to work. Dr. Turner then says, I'm afraid it's a bit more serious than that because the London has said that there may be underlying concerns for why he's been so unwell. Um, and they are concerned. So they're doing other tests. Um, Mrs. Beckett says, I want to see him. I want to see him right now. And Barbara says that she'll go with her at the end of her day. The hours that these midwives work. I know I bring it up, but like, and it's the right thing. She's making, taking care of her patient and I completely understand it, but they they've fucking got, work crazy hours. They do, but at the end of the day, there's not much else going on in their lives. There's no TD. There's no boyfriends potentially. So when you strike Tom. a <laughs> Tom, hello Tom. Um, but when you strike a rapport up with somebody and you care about somebody, I can see that you know. Oh, actually, I won't see this episode's line of duty because I'm going with that person to make sure they're okay. It's going to be quite a a reasonable decision. Yeah, life was a little bit different with different priorities back then, um, and I can see that. 
you know, everybody says about society and the society's diminished. Back then, people just, I think, cared a little bit more somehow. That's probably I feel like bad. nurses and midwives really still would have. Nurses and midwives would probably still do this, though. That's the thing. But I feel like now, for a nurse and midwife to you go, no, my no, patient is unwell and no. haven't got anyone, and they need someone to escort them to the hospital because their husband's unwell, no. they would probably be given a seminar on boundaries and told not to, you know, that's gone beyond but their job description. That, and it's not correct. N- nurses and midwives are pushed now beyond their capacity. Constantly. There is so much demanded of them. Whereas when that was, when life wasn't as complicated and it was simpler and there were other demands on your time, you could choose to say, actually, I'll go with her to the hospital and it will be fine. Midwives, well, the thing is they have more nurses, autonomy as well because now people have mobile phones. So you go, say someone's a community nurse and they go around and they're on their community visits and they're looking at their caseload. Somebody cancels your boss will ring you and go, okay, someone's cancelled. We put this person instead. Yeah. It wouldn't be you'd go to that place, they wouldn't be in, you'd leave a note through the door, and then you go to your next one and actually you'd be able to make up time. No, it's That's changed, just not what ha- happens. It's changed so much now that there's so many more demands on our time that that can't happen, whereas it could then. Like I know a community psychiatric nurse quite well, Um and they have a 55 patient caseload. So they're expected to see 55 patients in a week, Monday to Friday. 10 that's patients over, a day. Over 10 patients a day. Wow. It's that's near impossible. They work. That can't happen. Not to say, they, have, they work 13 hour days and they still have to come in sometimes on the weekend to do the paperwork. That can't happen. Because, but it does happen all the well, time. Well, yeah, but it, it shouldn't. But it didn't happen then. No, it didn't. I know they always talk about how their caseloads are really high. But it's different. It's a different type of high. We have made life so complicated with paperwork and risk assessments and other things that the basic care of nursing that they did is no longer the priority. Um, Yeah, no, I agree. It's very true. Uh, where have we got to? Evangelina goes to visit Connie and she's very emotional and Connie is so apologetic. She's so fearful that Evangelina's going to judge her because she's had to put the baby on formula. And Evangelina says, you know, she goes, you know, you saw me, sister. I'm such a bad mum. I put my baby in danger. What sort of mum am I? It's all my fault. And Evangelina goes, no, my fault. And she takes responsibility for the actions. Which is very grown up because not everybody's capable of admitting when they've made a mistake. Mm. Do you know what I mean? People will bullet. She could have gone, no, that wasn't my fault. She should have read between the lines. And no one, who was going to take her up on it? But she was big enough to go, I was a bit of an ass. Need to deal with it. Um, So I respect her for that. Next scene, Phyllis visits a woman who has dementia called Mrs. Smith. Phyllis is lovely with her, by the way. I really like the way that she treats her. She sits eye level. She holds her hands. There's physical contact. She manages that situation really, really well. Very respectful. I just watched it and I was like, yeah. That's textbook. It's textbook. And the only thing she could have done was to introduce herself. But um, 
She's Patsy in a nurse's uniform. She probably didn't feel like she has to. Patsy then arrives, um, and there's been a pin mix-up. Yellow pin, blue pin, because obviously Monica Joan. Um, <laughs> this woman's obviously got early onset dementia because she must be pre-65. Um, husband arrives, and it's Tommy. Um, instantly, it becomes apparent that this is Tommy's wife, and he's not been clear with Phyllis. And, you know, they were obviously both interested in one another, but he hasn't been honest. And I actually think if he had said from the very beginning, my wife has dementia, they could have been good friends. And I think Phyllis would have been happy with that. But I think no, the biggest betrayal I, is that he lied to her by omission. I don't think Phyllis would be happy with being friends. I think that's why she says, I've got enough friends. You've made a fool of me. I don't think she wants friendship. I think she felt that was the potential for more. Well, she says that, doesn't she? Mm. So um, instantly she kind of stiffens up um, and she's clearly devastated. And he's like, I can explain. And she's like, no need. Goodbye. Um, I'm very practical and I'm leaving because I'm a nurse (laughs) and I'm gone. Sorry. Patsy goes with her and they sit in the car together and she offers Phyllis a cup of tea. She's like, come on, should we go and get a cup of tea? British manner, that's how we deal with our problems. I posted that this week literally. in the Discord, people. Posted <laughs> it this week in the Discord. Someone want a cup of tea? Literally, someone could die and the first thing anyone will ask you is... Do you want, do you want a, cup a cup of tea? tea? Your marriage could end. Oh cup my god, there's a fucking Tyrannosaurus Rex! Should we have a cup of tea? Yeah, let's have a cup of tea. Let's have a cup of tea. Literally, tea fixes everything. Tea is the drink... It the does. oils, the hinges of no, that moment. Do you know why? Because it's a moment to relax and it's a moment to take stock and it's a moment to be with whoever you're with and a moment to think, yep, yeah, actually we're all right. But the brewing of the tea is ritualistic. You put the kettle on, you fill the kettle up, you put the kettle on. How do you have your tea? Oh, two sugars. Lovely. Do you like it strong or milky? Milky. Lovely. You put the cups out. You put the tea bags in. You put the sugars or the sweeteners or nothing in. Then you go and get your milk. And all the time, one of you sat and the other person's bustling by the kettle. And it's just the perfect time to break the ice and find out what's going on. And then you get the tea and you sit together and you look at one another. But it's relaxed because you can focus on your tea and not focus on the person that's laser beaming through your brain to find out what's going on. And you kind of just have a little chat and you can be honest and be like, yeah, you know, this has happened. (laughs) Tea is a ritual that is timeless. You can have the same thing. It's just the way it works. It's such an easy way that everybody understands. Do you want a cup of tea? Yeah. If you've had an argument with your other half, Shall I put the kettle on? No. Yeah. Don't want a cup of tea. Of course you do. Everyone wants a cup of tea. You sure? Fine. It's just, it's an icebreaker. (laughs) Anyway, that's enough about tea. Um, Do you know, there's like, what's that saying is, I don't want to make windows into men's souls. Tea is the window into people's souls. It gives you that time to to just figure it out. It's also a sign of respect as well. Like when I was you, oh you don't training for walking. When I would go and do my placements and things like that, it was a mark of respect for the person that was training me that I come in and early and I make them a cup of tea. As the most junior member of this team, you're the tea bitch. 
Mm. And that is just the way it happens. It's how you raise them. You know, teenagers make the tea. Yeah. It's just hierarchy. You're the tea bitch. One day you won't be the tea bitch, but it will teach you how to listen, how to learn, how to make lots of different things and multitask. Yeah. Not a skill in being the tea bitch. Yeah. I used to draw little dinosaurs on everyone's cup. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> or do little cartoons. Really? Yeah. She write little novels on the side of cups and say it's Sunday, it's post I wrote a poem when I was leaving. No, did you? It's a little poem. A little limerick. That's eight. Um So yeah, let's have a look. Where are we at? Um so Patsy sits in the car with her, officer a cup of tea and Phyllis. Did you write I'm a doctor, so fuck yeah. No. no. Uh, Patsy sits in the car with Phyllis afterwards and sort of tries to, const- she says, I'm not going to ask you any questions. You don't have to pretend, though. We all do that far too much and it's utterly exhausting, which is an interesting thing to say because it kind of shows that sometimes Patsy doesn't discuss all the things that bother her. Which And also that Patsy's facades have their, you know, she's, Limit. she's tired of them. She wants, she's had enough. It's okay not to be okay, guys. Um, Phyllis says then that she's very happy with her life, but for one moment she almost saw something else that she hadn't planned for, but she thought would be nice. And now that's over. And she just drives off and I'm like, oh, Phyllis. Oh, God, I love I you. Love I love Phyllis. She I love Phyllis. I also she's like my the favourite. She's probably my favourite too. Next scene, it's the hospital. Johnny has been diagnosed with leukaemia. Mrs. Beckett apologises to him. Um, she says that she wants to take all of the words back. Um, Johnny says that he wants his family and he wants to be at home. Mrs. Beckett says to Barbara, you know, I won't. Mrs. Beckett says that she won't give birth without him being alive. She then says to Barbara that she wants her baby to be induced early so that Johnny can see the child before he dies because his death is pretty imminent. And that's the thing with leukemia. People can kind of manage and manage and manage and then they just drop down dead. Mm. It can be quite sudden and brutal. Yeah, well, once it affects your whole blood system, it's pretty significant, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's not a a good one. No. Um, Next scene, Evangeline's praying in a chapel. Scene after that, Phyllis is putting away all of her Spanish books. She's literally oh, packing her dreams like away. She's packing Tommy away. Tommy it's horrible. No more. I don't like it. Scene after that, Evangeline is talking to Julianne and says that she'd like to go to an enclosed order. And Julianne's like, she's already picked an order out. And Julianne says, that's a very austere order. Silence is kept all day. And Evangelina starts crying. She says that she's forgotten her calling. She's become so wrapped up in her work that she's forgotten that she's a messenger for God. And she needs to stop talking and she needs to learn how to listen. Me too, bitch. She needs to listen to to her patience, not God. That's the problem. Mm. She stopped listening to her patience. She started, you know, believing too much of her own doctrine. She's got used to being the person that's the voice of authority. Yes. And as the world changes around her, she's not adaptable. 
No. So she very much becomes this voice of an old adage. Which is the really interesting thing, because Monica, Monica Joan, being older and quoting historic poems from the you know, 1800s that only Shell can explain to us, is so much more adaptable. It's weird. But I don't know if... I feel like Monica Jane would have seen more because the poverty was so much more extreme when she was practising as a midwife. People would have been sent to far more extremes. So therefore... Like with the kids, and she was like, and they do you remember those I, kids, and they have to cut all their hair off and no, everything in like that old mind, basement of horrors. Evangelina would have done that. I don't think that I think you could have interchanged the two characters at that point. I don't think that I don't think it's a um, an experience um, issue. I think it's a a mindset issue. I think. I also that, think as well, Monica Joan comes from a very privileged background where she would have had education. And she would have had, and we know, and I'm not shitting on anyone who hasn't got, had an education, but what I'm saying is the more you read, the more you try and better yourself by learning different things, you become more open-minded as a result. It's hard to, if you're someone who wants to learn, who wants to see how things work, you're naturally inclined to be open-minded. You're naturally inclined. I think people can Evangelina's be- stoic. She's a black and white person. But I think that's born of experience. I don't think yeah. that's. I don't think that's because she isn't experienced. I think that's because her experience is very um, narrow. Um, yeah, but she's and lived one, a narrowed experience. Monica Joan has not, because of learning and and other things that have been in her life. Yeah, it's difficult. Evangelina is a good midwife. She's not a bad midwife. She's no. She has basically perfected the art of something that she does day to day. She's a really good midwife. She knows she's, how to manage crises. She knows painter, how to be kind. She's a painter by numbers. Whereas somebody like a Monica Joan is somebody that will create the painting before it's been numbered. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Free thinking. Yes. Mm. Evangelina wants things to be, I've experienced this, this is how I deal with it. That's how it's going to be. There is no beyond that, there is no learning beyond that. I no, have. because she's like, this works, this is how it works. Yeah. It doesn't need to be improved because but we've always done it this way. And, it, and we see that time and again with her. But it's she massively hates efficient. any kind of change. But it's massively efficient. If she was on a production line and we were this know that this works... And we can't go beyond this because what goes beyond this doesn't work. She would be the fastest production line person in the world. Yeah. She's not going to innovate anything, but she's going to be absolutely top of her marks in every way that you measure productivity. Yeah. Somebody like Monica Joan is going to say, fuck that. I can do it this way if I want. And that's going to be better for the mother. I don't care. This is how it's going to be. And I'm going to do it that way. It's a different mindset. They're different, but as we see later on, they do love each other, really. Oh, massively love each other. It makes me sad. In the next scene, Monica Joan tells Phyllis that a man is at the door. And Phyllis goes, I don't want to speak to him. And she, <laughs> Monica Joan goes, sometimes I have greens put on my plate. But they're, and I don't want them, but they're still good for me. 
Um, oh, she's so perceptive. She is so perceptive. Phyllis is then kind of caught out. She has to go and speak to Tommy, who's brought flowers and is very apologetic. And um, she says, you told me that your wife died. And he said, I didn't say that. I said, I lost my wife many years ago and I have lost her. And she's like, it's a lie by omission. It was semantics. Yeah, like he led her to believe that he was single and free Mm. to mingle. And he wasn't. He's got a wife at home. And yes, I mean, you could argue from so many points that, you know, if she's severely dementia, if she's no longer really the person that she was, if she can't remember him, then they're no longer in a relationship. Not because, I mean, there's so many ways because they were in a relationship, they were married, he has an obligation to, he hasn't forgotten her, so he still loves her for the sickness, sickness and ill health. Yeah. But in the same thing, their relationship, their marriage cannot be as it once was. Because well, no, she can't obviously that's call what him. that vow means. That vow means yeah. that I am dedicating myself and my love to you, regardless of what happens. No, I agree. I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I can see both frames of thought. Phyllis oh, is someone yeah, who's absolutely. like, I won't be your other woman. I'm not going to be, especially in the 1950s, I'm not going to be dating a married man who's waiting for his wife who has dementia to die. That's well, completely he, well, the morally wrong. Is, to the inference is that he wouldn't have waited. No, he was ready to go, wasn't he? Like, mm. He was like, we're going to a flamingo class. We're going and to I Watford will, Gap. I will check <laughs> you in Watford Gap service toilets if I need to. But, yeah, so I think it is different, isn't it? And I, I she's, she's someone who is an all or nothing girl, isn't she, Phyllis? Like, I think if he'd been free and single, this would have almost certainly ended up being dating and marriage. I could see Phyllis falling and falling hard because she's not someone to do halvesies. She's either all on the bus or she's all off the bus. But she definitely tried before she bought. Well, yeah, I suppose it depends if the conductor's clipped your ticket or not, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Um, She says that she will not continue to speak to them. And then she says, you've made a fool out of me. Don't come here again. And she, I love, it's the most haunting line from Phyllis. You have it's made the, a fool no, out of me. No, it's the way she runs up the stairs. That was the key to this scene. Because she was crying. She ran away. She didn't walk away with, you know, confidence. She had to get away. She was saying what she knew was the right thing to say, but at the same time, she did she have She was running for it. away from it. She was mm-hmm. running away from it. It's so she sad. knew. Yeah, it's also, we sad. never see this line followed again. Like, we never hear, oh, how's Tommy at your Spanish class? Nothing. Well, that's Heidi. going. Heidi's rubbish at things like that. Sorry, Heidi, I love you. You're a brilliant writer, but you're shit at this sort of thing. <clears throat> okay, we're going to quite a heavy ser- bit now. So, mm. next scene, Barbara is debating at the dinner table with everybody that she wants to induce Mrs. Beckett. They're all debating it very hotly. A lot of the nuns, Winnie, is saying that it's wrong. Her blood pressure is controlled now. It would be, you know, morally incorrect to do that. Um, 
Trixie says, you know, obstetricians would would do it. And Monica Jones says the immortal line, obstetricians will never be satisfied until women are entirely absent from birth. Hello, <laughs> women's rights. Um, She's true, though. They, yeah, they, basically, point. yeah, women were just women. Well, it's it, she's an appendix. Shit. I have to remove this, and I'm going to be very clinical about it. You're a woman. I'm going to be very clinical. Blah blah mm. blah. I'm 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 a Mister. I have a surgeon's licentiate. Whatever. I don't care. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's true. Um, so they're talking about it, and. Um, Barbara argues that they don't just deliver babies, they make families. And Johnny is going to die. And his dying wish is to see his child before he dies. It is in their power to deliver this child early. They And it's both the parents' wishes that it happens. Morally, are they not obligated to do it? Winnie's argument is it's unnecessary. There could be extra complications for the baby. And as Julian says, you know, if this baby delivers after Tommy's died, then this woman would have gone through a very traumatic birth, which would have been induced. Lots of different stuff's going to happen. And then he still might not be in a position to see his child before he dies or he might die before. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of pressure. And Barbara is basically told she'll have to take responsibility for that. So if the baby isn't delivered in time, is Mrs. Beckett going to turn around and blame Barbara? I feel very conflicted about this scene because the one thing nobody said during this scene is, is the baby going to know? It's all about the parents here. It's not about the baby. And inducing a baby has its risks. And that baby is never going to know if it saw its father or not. And I feel a little bit... I feel very conflicted over this. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because this is a dying man's dying wish to see his child. I don't want to be very unkind about it, but he will be dead. He, the, the baby is never going to know. No, the baby won't know, but the mother will know that she fulfilled her dying husband's dying wish. Okay, so let's just say that they induce the baby. Something goes wrong and the baby dies. But that's it, why they're having that hot debate, isn't it? Exactly. So the merits it, over. Would it be worth it? The father's never going to know because he's going to be dead. The child may never know because it's going to be dead. The only person that will know will be the mother and she'll think, my husband died and my baby died. Oh, shit. This baby was one week away from its due date. So it's literally, well, and, and they kind of know it's a bit hazy because you, you never, never 100% know. Because they, even Patsy goes, you know, some of those due dates could be a bit hazy. You know, we, a couple of days on the side isn't going to make a big difference. She could go into labour 10 days late, 10 days early. It's it's not going to make a huge, like if she was two months along and they went, we're going to induce this baby, you'd be like, eh, this isn't going to go well. But this baby is nine months. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, like, I just, I have to just speak. I'm speaking as someone who uh, my, my wife was induced only because our son was 20 days overdue. He, she, she had a very comfortable womb, I guess. And he was, uh, 
10 pounds. Uh, so he's, he's very fully cooked, almost overdone. So I, I mean, I stay overnight in your wife's womb. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, I mean, if it's if a baby is that close to its due date, I mean, uh, granted, I know it's the late, the late 50s, due dates are a bit, it's like predicting astrology. Sometimes. But, it's, uh, but, but they they're causing something to happen that's not natural. Okay, well, in, in, but women can be also, induced. You know, we, for example, yeah, my mum. Like when I was when my mum was pregnant, induction. I'm sorry, my mum was pregnant with me. Sorry, it would have been safe. But when my mum was pregnant with me, she'd had she'd carried she'd had a miscarriage, got pregnant afterwards. She was pregnant with twins which she went to seven months, gave birth to them. They then died. And then she got pregnant with me a month after that. So she'd essentially been pregnant for 18 months. Mm. Around the six-month mark, her pelvis started to disintegrate because the hormones associated with pregnancy had eroded her pelvis. So the doctors Mm. were like, you need constant bed rest. You can't walk for the next two months. And we are going to induce labour at so I was I was a preemie baby we're going to induce labor because once your baby has reached a certain point that we know it can survive for the health of the mother so Mm. ethically they induced I was a preemie my brother was even more premature my brother was at six but your point is for the health of the mother in this instance so this is for the mental health of the mother well okay I accept that but the father is going to die. He is going to die. I think the thing as well is grief manifests itself differently to different people. And even so much as grief where someone has already experienced grief, when someone else dies, the grief you experience is different again because people are like fingerprints and meh, meh, meh. And some people deal with grief by doing. So, You know, you'll talk to someone and, you know, someone they love is dying and they're like, yeah, we've got to do this. I've got to get their pills ready. I've got to do this. I've got to take them here. I've got to speak to the doctor. I've got a really advanced thinking, talking about the funeral, talking about planning. And then there are people who sit in their underpants and cry all day. Mm. Both of them are grieving, but some people are like dealing with it differently. Yeah. And with her, she has clutched onto this idea that for her husband, she will give birth to their child so that he can see his child, so that he can acknowledge their child together and they can have that one snippet of parental love as a family in that moment. She can make this happen. She's due anyway. She's just going to have it a week earlier. She will make it happen well, where, so that she can fulfil his wish. Where's the cut-off then? Where's the cut-off? What do you mean? Well, where is it acceptable to do that? Is it... A- 38 weeks is it 30 weeks is it 26 weeks she's a week before her due date though well we don't know that though do do we they do say it in that discussion why don't we leave that up to the woman and her doctor instead of discussing this over a podcast i mean this is even a like all i'm saying is like okay yes for medical reasons we also have to take into account mental health so if this woman is like Look, I'm a week away from my due date. I cannot be pregnant any longer. I'm going crazy. Perhaps her doctor might be able to to do something about that. Is that I mean, I'm sure that might be a valid reason. Or, but we're I, we're not in today's medical 
knowledge. Right. We're we're in 1950s. So and we're at a, a time where hygiene, where cleanliness, anything is possible with a child. Infant mortality was so much higher than it is now. Right. We're talking about inducing a child before its time. Right. To, I'm just saying if the a, risk is low, if the risk is low of a mortality of that child and mother, I don't see I personally don't see the harm in it. Given oh, no, I, I am absolutely playing devil's advocate here. I don't I play devil's advocate, it, you know, but, for Kim's but, perspective, she did have high blood pressure. So she is a risk of preeclampsia and yes. secondary conditions which might develop. So that this you can understand. This I mean, we're, not, we're debating this. this and a, you can, this is not a definite yes, let's do it. This is a discussion about a mother's health here. We're not talking necessarily just about a mother's mental health. And we're talking about her account seeing... that she is specifically stating, I want to be induced. She's, yes. If she was like, no, I don't want to, but and Barbara we, was out with we, the... But if we the think, if, hang on, if, but if we talk about a, um, a patient who's got MS, who says, I want to die, we don't, we don't, concede to their medical wishes we don't concede to a, a pregnant mother's medical wishes if it's not sensible for their well-being that you but can't... I think in this particular situation it's not an implausible request if she'd been I, no, 20 weeks if she'd been halfway through gestation not. and that baby had no fluid on their lungs and couldn't breathe and wouldn't have survived outside of utero then they'd have said it's just not possible we have to find another way but this is a week before her due date she you know people have a week early and it really doesn't make that much difference it, to have I absolutely 20 days late and it's you know they're overcooked I just want to say, I want to ask, though, like, despite the fact that this woman had high blood pressure, what does a weak difference make? She's going to have yeah. high blood pressure, whether or not she induces. So what's the difference? She wants this baby I suppose out now the difference induces. is her high blood pressure is due to stress and stress can have an effect on the actual birth. So a baby, sometimes they can shit themselves in the womb and eat their own mucal plug and their own shit, and then they go into fetal distress. So that's why mums who are due to deliver are told to really keep it as low stress as possible because a high-stress environment for a baby, it goes to the baby, and then the baby can end up in fetal distress. The point of the matter is, this is really high stakes. She's already stressed. Her blood pressure is high anyway. So she's at a risk of preeclampsia, but her baby is at a risk of becoming fetally distressed because of the stress that she's under. If they're then going to induce labour, that in itself is going to be stressful because she's not just having her labour induced. She's being yes. having her labour induced it's... under a time frame that she needs to bang this kid out before her husband okay. dies. That's a I'm lot of pressure. Inducing labor about... is just giving. I'm inducing labor is just giving the woman the hormones that are are already going to trigger labor. And she's more she, than that. I mean, they have like, to stretch. They have to give her a stretch and sweep. She has enemas. They're having to make her walk around to try oh, and induce labor. They are working this. They are they're giving her this. oil. They're giving her oil to irritate her bowel, so she's shitting herself, which is supposed to irritate the wall. So that which is causing the bowel. stress. Which yeah. is causing stress. It's putting more pressure on a baby that actually is it may not be ready to come out. So there is extra and, and risk can associated. Be weeks and weeks overdue. Just because no, well, no, they can't. They say anything they can't over be. ten days is a concern. Well, yeah, but, no, yeah, so but no, we back then, back then, we, we're talking about the medical time back then, not now. 
So. Either way, I think this is something that we could we could discuss and debate. And it's really interesting that I like that we're having these kind of debates. Oh, it's because brilliant. It's, it's absolutely it's fun. brilliant. Because um, I know my own view is not the view I'm necessarily espousing. So it's there's nothing wrong with healthy debate. And actually, guys, if you're listening to this, I would love to know what your opinion is. Should this baby have been? Should it been born early? Should they have helped? Was Barbara in the right, or should they have? You know. Who, in the end, it comes down to who's the most important factor in this setting. The mother has her views. She wants to be induced. The dad's dying and his dying request is to see his child. And then you have the child's rights. Which one would you advocate for the most in this situation? Because it's one of those situations where nobody ethically can win. Legally, now, the child's welfare comes above the parents. So within law... It would be about they would have to do a risk assessment to see. In Britain, but I would argue in within Britain. if she's a week before her due date, they could ethically look into inducing her. But it's one of those things that you would have to debate and have to do risk assessments, which they do in this sitting. But if you're listening and you're banging your keyboard or you're sitting there going, no, I completely disagree. Let us know on the Discord or put a review on the podcast and we'd love to read it. <laughs> Tell a friend. If you're listening on Danny's amazing Facebook page, put it in the comments because yes, we all we, low-key stalk. Can we give a shout out for Danny's Facebook page, actually? Because that's Love brilliant. Danny's Facebook page. Yeah. Um, so moving my on. own point of view, my own yep. point of view is that I think they did the right thing. I think they did. I think they did the right thing. I think if it comes to the head or the heart, providing that the baby has a high chance of being well and healthy i think they did the right thing in supporting the family with what they want yeah i agree it's nuanced but in this situation they did the right thing i don't necessarily say it would be the right thing in every situation but in this situation good on you yeah so the next scene evangelina is packing a bag monica joan comes in sees her packing her bag and then comes in and starts unpacking the bag um, and eventually it takes hold of her hand and they hold hands and they stare at each other. And Monica Jane goes, but what will I do? And eventually goes, pray for me. And then they hug and they have a little nun cuddle. And it's like, see, they like each other really. Mm. It's cute. A moment of sunshine in a dark setting. It is cute. But do you not think when somebody moves on or passes on, your first thought is, very quite selfish it's how am I going to survive without them I think if it's someone that you really love they become a part of your daily life they become a part of what makes you you and how you function and to lose that is in itself a loss because that person is gone and you will mourn for their loss but yeah you I always think if there's two people and somebody dies the person who dies almost has it easier. And I know that sounds weird. No. The one that survives sense. is the one that has to keep living. And if you've mm. lost some great love, that must be so hard. Yeah. To find meaning when your meaning isn't there anymore. Yeah. It's very sad. Next scene. Barbara and Trixie are attempting to induce labour with the newly named Stella. She's suddenly got a name now. Dr. Turner decides to go into the ward and he sits with Johnny to keep him going. They talk about his Spurs fan. Um, 
and he says, we're on for the double. And he goes, well, you better stick in there because we've got a long day of football to go ahead. Um, they're trying to induce labour. So they've given and Barbara does a really brilliant, brilliant explanation of how they're trying to induce labour. They've given her castor oil, which irritates her bowel. She then shits herself and that makes the womb open up. It basically almost poo vibrates. Well, it triggers the muscles. And drops, drops the nuchal plug. In the um, same way that enemas. has a very, if you have a very painful period, sometimes that can trigger your bowels. It's, it's the same concept yeah. of the triggering of the muscles. Enema as well, again, for very similar purpose and warm baths to stimulate all of those muscles. Um, however, she doesn't go into labour straight away and it is stressful because Johnny is fading in the background. Johnny is clearly fading. Every time we see him, he's more sweaty. He becomes quite jaundiced. He becomes and more she, still in the bed. She could have had those moments with him, but she's in a room with two women rather than her husband. So you've got to, it, it's a catch 22, isn't it? You're only going to know what the right answer is when it's happened. I think it's not, there isn't a right answer. There is a, there is no right answer to these impossible ethical moments. There is only the right answer for that. No, person. the right answer is, did I give birth? Did he see the child? That's the right answer. If that didn't happen, she's wasted those moments. Yeah. So, Babs and Trixie are checking how she's doing. She's still not in active labour. So Barbara then is taking charge and says they should do a stretch and sweep. And um, she goes in to basically place her fingers to the start of the cervix and open it up. And she says it does work because it brings her up to four centimetres. Um, but it hurts. It hurts but Stella because she, she cries out. She could close again, it. though. She could close again, though. No, not if the baby... If the mucal plug oh, okay. retracts yeah. Yeah. and then yeah, the they're, pressure. They're breaking the seal. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. If you imagine the, so you have something called the mucal plug. Yeah, yeah. no, don't, yeah. don't explain it, please. Okay. I'm fine. Yeah, that's why I, I have the show. I know. Um, Johnny oh, is in his bed. I could, and he I says could give that, you a visual real quick. Just so it basically, it's like yeah, this. Hang on, move this way a bit. Just move that way. Just the, the doctor basically just Okay, and then finger. put that finger in your mouth. Because that would be sexier. It's like that, but they have a rubber glove. Just imagine if yeah. you have a medical fetish, I'm sure, which I'm can, sure you do. Because can you put two fingers in rather than one? Because I would that like would hurt that. The baby. We don't want no, to. But, the baby's no, but I would so. like that. I would like. I know you would. So anyway, the... <laughs> we are doing a story of a dying man. Come on. Yeah, and I'm thinking about myself being fingered by Sam. So. Johnny says that his dad died while he was young because he was also a dock worker. There's been three generations of dock workers. Um, and he, <laughs> he says he's got so much in him, but his child will never know it. He's got so much of him who wants to love his child. and He's, he's not going to be there for it. He starts bleeding from his mouth, um, oh. which is obviously vessels are breaking down. Yeah. And Stella finally gives birth to a baby boy, which I think that you kind of knew it would be a boy because then it can be little Johnny the fourth. Um, they immediately, they say that when she delivers the placenta and then they immediately go to the hospital in an ambulance. They get there in time to say goodbye. And she tells him that she's named the baby John. And he says, oh, another Beckett at the docks. 
and his last were he's kind of crying and he says that he wants to stay but then he passes away it's quite sad yeah well every nobody wants to die do they but he wants even, to stay so he does want to stay everybody wants to stay even people that want to bring on the end want to stay at the final moments yeah i just hate stories like this it always gets me mm. So next scene, Phyllis is on phones. Um, she sees Patsy and tells her really excitedly that she's got funding for 20 home care helpers. Yeah. Um, which is brilliant because it's kind of the birth of the healthcare assistant. Yes. Yeah. Before they were kind that. of nurses aides, but now you're getting HCA with their own specific roles, which is brilliant. Um, Patsy says, well done. And to treat you, I'm going to cover you on the phone so that you can go to your Spanish class. And Phyllis kind of freezes and says, no, I'm I'm not going to go to that. And Patsy kind of pushes her to... Patsy knows. Patsy knows, knows what it's like to night. have... Yes, exactly. She knows what it's like to, to, to want someone and to love someone who is slightly unattainable. Not necessarily because they don't want you, but because society says it's not quite right. Yeah, so, it's hard. Yeah. Also, I think, I think later on when Phyllis is good to do Julia, you think that one good turn deserves another. Well, yeah. Oh, yes. Nice. Not put the two together. What I'd not put. I'd, just her <laughs> eyes in the scene are just so beautiful. They were nice eyes. So big and so blue and so caring. It's lovely. But I'd not actually picked up on the point you were making about it being one good turn deserves another. Because in the same way that Patsy is supporting her and encouraging her to at least maintain some kind of cordial friendship or find some closure. Yeah. Phyllis helps Patsy. Well, helps Delia Delia. when Patsy goes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really nice... In all the years I've watched these and... I've never picked up on that before. Oh, my God, Charlie. Um, So in the next scene, Phyllis goes to her Spanish class and they're doing flamenco dance and she greets him with fluent Spanish. So she's clearly been learning in between falling in love. Um, And he says, I thought you weren't going to come. And she said, I wasn't, but I wanted to part as friends. So they sit and watch the dancing. And I just wish they'd followed it up. Like, she never mentions it again, does she? She's never well, like, she's oh, I was chatting to Tommy. No, but they're both going to Spanish class. She's still going to Spanish no. class. So No. No. No? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Next scene, it's Johnny's funeral. She learnt the Spanish on her own. She can learn learn it on her own more. Yeah. So the next scene, it's Johnny's funeral. The doc boss attends. Um, he sees Stella. By the way, this actor's shit. I, we have so many amazing actors and actresses and call the midwife. This guy is hammy as shit. He literally, he starts off as this weird mob boss and then he turns into someone who's chewing his lines. The delivery is so crap. Okay. Sorry if you're the actor. Like, if you watch this scene, the delivery of these lines is so like he's learned them and not put any nuance into them. It bothers me every time I watch this episode. I'm like, who invited the ham? <laughs> Christmas. Christmas invited the ham. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
he apologizes to Stella and says that he should have taken greater care. And he looks at Barbara and goes, you made me see the error of my ways, sister. Then he gives her a big fat wage packet um, and he's bought John's dock hook, which John Johnny pawned back to her. And on the back, it says Johnny, what's his name? So she's going to that's going to be an heirloom. She pops it on the mantelpiece. And then she We're goes out. We're going to pass this down from father to son. It's going to be amazing. We they want to go and have a work with um, Mr. Rope Maker well, of Frank. Yeah. But they're going to be serial killers in 1980s America, aren't they, with Chainsaw Massacre? Let's face it. They're going to be. the upgrade from a hook to a chainsaw? Well, they're just going to be putting that hook through people's necks. Nice. So, sorry. On the sorry. Tom <laughs> then says to Barbara, kind of whispers in her ear, that she's not to listen to him again in the future, as she's absolutely perfect as she is. Trixie has, there's one shot where Trixie turns her head to, because she's overheard them. Trixie must be like, dun dun dun, are you two doing the do? What's going on? And then it's the final scene, and Evangelina is being sent off by all the nuns to her silent order. Monica Julienne tear up as they watch her go. She kind of turns around to wave, and then she doesn't look back. And that's the end of the scene. End of the episode. End of oh wow, okay, that came quick. This episode is so harsh. I fucking hate the leukemia storyline. Makes me sad. Yeah. It's not it just bummed me out. And I also love that Phyllis found love. I actually feel like this guy was probably worthy of her. You know that copper in later series, I was like, if she gets with him. No. Well, the what's the name for the the um what's the receptionist name later on? Miss Higgins. Oh, her and Higgins, yeah. the little yeah. romance. No, no, um Phyllis and Higgins have so much more chemistry than the copper and Higg uh, the copper and um nurse crane do. I know. It it's such I like Higgins, Higgins and Phyllis, Higgins and Crane, yeah. PIs. <laughs> Why not? They could be their own little mini series going yeah. on holly trips. Um, it could be like a Miss Marple esque thing, couldn't it? They absolutely could. They could make their own like private investigator. I could see them. Yeah. They just get invited to house parties, and then there's a murder, and they have to solve it. It'd be great. Fan fiction people, somebody, somebody write it. Somebody needs, not just a fanfic, Heidi, sell those characters. Come on. <laughs> I can't write any more murder mysteries. Mm-mm. No, you can't. You're Quite as full. You're out. You're but out. Yeah. So, Man, guys. Got a murder mystery in you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah guys that is the end of the episode Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode anybody got any last minute thoughts this is one of my favourite episodes I like this just purely from the 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 scene in the with the fish and chips at the beginning yeah I love that scene I know you took the piss out of it I love (laughs) that scene but I also the scene in the bedroom where Phyllis is dancing to the music, Trixie's dancing to the music, Patsy is so sexually frustrated, it's almost palpable. 
I don't think anybody has been that sexually frustrated. I just love it. Love it. No, I think it's a fair point. I like, I really like, there's a couple of really nice bonding episodes. I feel like it's a bit fillery, but in other points, it's almost great. Sometimes you have to have slower episodes. Not that this was slow because, you know, a man died. But um, I feel like you have to have episodes where there's more focus on the development of the characters. And I feel like mm. this episode developed Cynthia and it mm-hmm. developed Barbara. And yes. I feel like they probably were the I, the only one that I think they never properly developed, which the next episode is more Winnie centric is Winnie. Winifred very much was a background character. She was sort of like a last thought. They didn't do enough with Winnie. Yeah, and her growth was quite stunted. Yeah, as a totally result. agree. Totally agree. There's too many people. And Heidi's an amazing writer. But if you contrast it with something like Downton Abbey, where there's a massive cast of characters and each of them has development to some extent, it just it's not the same. Yeah, at all. it's true. At all. Yeah. So that is the episode, guys. We hope you liked it. Um, do let us know any comments, thoughts. We love to hear them. And uh, yeah, more reviews, please, because I'm a review bitch. I like them. We love a review. Um, but thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We're always on the Discord. Come seek us out. We love you. Please chat to us. It's true. Um, okay then, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.